0: Here we are at the ending of our second full day and night together. Checking how we are. This practice can be very challenging. I've done hundreds, if not hundreds of retreats, (laughs) if not thousands, I don't know, maybe. Just like others have, have mentioned, especially in these first few days, the thoughts of getting out arise. As our dear friend and colleague, teacher, Ajahn Sajito used to say, he he just turned 70 a few weeks ago, and we were together in in monasteries 40 years ago, he described uh, this practice as Eyeball to eyeball with your karma. (laughs) You know, people, as has been mentioned, used to mock a little bit our monastic life, or they might, just as they might mock, oh, you're going to go sit on your butt for 10 days. Great for you, world's burning, you're sitting here, Sitting on your butt. Easy to be peaceful. That Ajahn Chah would just say, if it was so easy, everybody would be doing it. (laughs) Everybody's not doing it. I wish more would do it. But Ajahn Shah described it as like uh, walking into a hurricane. Sometimes when we stop and open up to what's happening, and start to recognize the momentum of our lives, the momentum of the heart, the momentum of the patternings, the programs, the urgencies. That eyeball to eyeball with our karma, that our patterns manifest. We'll get to it later, but can't help but put a little taster in. I mean it can be suffering. Not easy. That which is, savdukkha means not easy to bear, that which is hard to bear. It can be hard to bear when we're face-to-face with our karma. It can be hard to bear to walk into a hurricane. But as Ajahn Chah would say when people were complaining about the challenges, if it was so bad, the Buddha wouldn't have called it a noble truth. (laughs) This is not just masochistic. (laughs) I promise. But we're cultivating the art of being realistic, being real. And in recognizing our patterns, it's possible to get them in perspective. The Buddha talked about taking a bubble to be the whole ocean. In a discourse called, uh, from the Mahayana tradition called the Sharangama Sutra, which means the, Sharangama means the ultimately durable, the indestructible. These are words about the true nature of our heart, which is always here, but we overlook it. In that discourse he talks about it's like, take, it's like ignoring hundreds of thousands of clear, pure seas and taking notice of only a single bubble, seeing it as the entire ocean. When these patterns and reactivity around feeling, Vedana, that, Nisha opened, opened us up to this morning. The pleasant and the unpleasant, the painful. The reactivity to the painful. And the seeking after some reprieve, the pleasant. Those patterns of wanting, not wanting can, can seem so real, in overpowering. Buddha is talking about taking a bubble to be the whole ocean. When we react to the pattern as if that is the re- only reality, the reality, then we are, we hook to that. We ride that and miss that that pattern, that, those movements of wanting, not wanting, pain and pleasure, liking and hating, being excited and wanting to dedicate my life to the Dharma. Well, what the heck, my countless lives to the Dharma, (laughs) to the way, the great way that had been walked by countless men and women of integrity, Then a sitting later, I can't take another minute, another second. That one's breathing too loud and that one's making all this kind of noise and that one's asleep. <laughs> Sleeping Nibbana. the great way must be somewhere else. <laughs> these, these, the inspiration and discouragement when we offer ourselves into these containers. The old definition of the sacred boundary of the Rel- religion used to mean to bind, relegere, bind oneself—the old, profound meaning of religion—that we need to return to, rather than my better than yours. That's a kind of kindergarten religion. <laughs> We've got to evolve, and all the religions have these great, this great contemplative depth. But the old meaning was we bind ourselves. We're binding ourselves to a to structure, noble silence, to sitting, to walking, to minimal distractions. And those we can, we might not have our cell phones, but we can read every label and every, <laughs> the mind will figure something out. But in general, this offering ourselves, walking into the sacred boundary, there's more opportunity to recognize what arises and ceases, coming and going, which can swing us and activate us. But by staying with the sitting, staying with the walking, there's a possibility of recognizing, whoa, the fever of wanting, wanting something else, anything else but this. Wanting. Notice how that takes us out. This is painful. If we're reacting to the pain that Vedana, the flavor Nisha was talking about, feeling tone, another way of thinking of it as a valence. There's a there's a kind of quality. You can't grasp that. It's unseen. Feeling is unseen. But whoa, it's strong. The sense of well, I can't tell whether it's painful or not. Well, if we don't want to be there, that's called pain. We don't want to be with it. It's unpleasant. Seeking out. But notice that that generates a, it concretizes that the those feelings which are actually ephemeral bubble light, just like the sounds of my voice are rising and ceasing in a matrix, in a ground, in a dimension of listening, of knowing. This is our refuge. We're learning to, to honor the movement but to return to little by little learn for, to recognize it as a trustworthy, safe place, that which is knowing that we're sitting, that which is registering the sounds that come and go. And the sounds appear and dissolve, but the listening, the knowing nature, the awareness, I'm trying to find different words. No word can capture it, but this is our heart. So another quote from that Sharangama Sutra. Sharangama, remember, is the indestructible sutra. The sutra about that which is indestructible. It's it's a way of talking about our nature that's here, that we overlook it. Another phrase right next to the one about the bubbles is, the primary misconception about the mind and body is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. You do not know, he goes on to say, that the physical body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, Empty space and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. This body, our experiences are appearing. We're mindful of the sensations of our body sitting, they're appearing within awareness this retreat center, spirit rock, and the hills, the buildings, the earth, our actual experience of these, so-called realities, are appearing, just like the sound of the Dharma talk is appearing. We might have opinions about the Dharma talk, it's, they're great, or oh my gosh, another dharma talk. They can be so concretized as we pleasant, unpleasant. Hmm, I can take them or leave them. But the actuality of the dharma talk is it the sounds resonate in the heart and dissolve. Dharma talks are full of holes it manifests, dissolves back into this one mind, this awareness. Why I wanna bring this up is that we, uh, well, let me back up. Sometimes people think part of this whole materialistic notion is uh, consciousness, uh, Kitty Charles, excuse me for interrupting, but it's a byproduct, This a chemical byproduct Just saying. <laughs> we're talking science. Uh, I don't know about that. Even some of the great physicists realize that un- behind all this is consciousness. But when we have consciousness is just this little sideshow, and the real stuff is the matter. A real problem, then no wonder we're trying to grab onto things. But whatever we grab onto shifts and changes. And as we notice, this statement of the Buddha can remind us that actually we're not going somewhere. When the Buddha was awakened, he realized that this peace he was seeking, this freedom he was seeking, was not off in the sky somewhere else. It was always here and now inviting him. We chant these qualities of the Dharma and we'll be chanting it every morning in that, on page two, that Ittipiso, the qualities of the Dharma are sanditiko, this timeless peace, this indestructible heart is always here and now, sanditiko. Akaliko is its timeless It's not just when everything is auspicious. The true nature is when you're feeling good, when you're feeling bad. When there's pleasure, when there's pain. The true nature is here. The next word the, the Buddha used to describe this true nature is ehi pasiko. Ehi means calm see. Our deeper heart nature is inviting us You don't need a special pass. I'm sorry, you're the wrong shape, kitty. You're just a bit too short. I mean, just saying. I mean, five six. I used to be five six. I think I'm shrinking, but I still like to say five six. <laughs> On a good day, I think once I was five six and a half. <laughs> don't have not too short, not too tall, not too big, not too small. Doesn't matter what color what orientation this true nature he come see it's open I the next words like a magnet it's drawing us pulling us it's our nature but when we're so captivated by the bubbles that seem not, not like bubbles they seem like the whole show our desire our aversion our doubts oh god can't this thing, it's so complicated. I had it yesterday, I knew I should have written it down. <laughs> if I'd have had my phone, I probably would have put it in there. <laughs> They're just not keeping up with the times. And then and then, so I just look at how am I gonna? I could be maybe if I got hypnotized, I could bring it back. And this is going on, and all these sounds and feelings of hope and despair arising and ceasing in a presence, in a listening, in that which is always here, always now, always inviting. That's a wonderful idea, it's an important idea. So it's not that we're getting somewhere else, we're little by little by little by little by little gradually learning how to be here more fully. So I want to say that, that because sometimes we try too hard. And yes, some application's important, but a big important thing that I want to touch on that's fundamental to samadhi is learning how to relax and open to what's here, and allow the layers of what's here to present themselves rather than hating what's here. Eyeball to eyeball with our karma, at least the mind is revealing itself. This is not a waste of time. It's important. We get to, oh. And from it being, oh God, I'm so this, I'm so that. From it being so personal, Little by little starts to become dharma. It starts to become nature. It becomes a pattern. Whoa, look at that. That aversion, pretty strong. Aversion to pain. Or rather than I'm in pain, I'm in pain, and it's their fault, or it's my fault we hate ourselves, or it's those blasted teachers they are up there. They're masochists. <laughs> he could have rung the bell a long time ago. He was just doing it. I know. He did. He's getting off on it. He's getting off. All night. You can't trust those southerners. I don't It's a wound. They got a wound. And also cuz he's short, maybe. They said Napoleon had something like that. So but to 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 then start to see a pattern. Oh, it's a pattern. So, an important entryway into samadhi is what the Buddha called uh, subduing longing and distress with regard to the world. The desires and aversion. For a time, we're just letting the world be. We're not saying it's not important, but we're letting it be for the sake of cultivating this samadhi, which means gathered in this unification. Excuse me, Tanisra touched on how we're unifying these streams of activity, of karma that we take to be me, the body, thinking mind in the heart, learning to bring them into harmony. Our Buddha had a turning point, which many of you know the story, but it's always important to, I believe, remember it. Remembering he grew up in a palace, had every refinement Finest as silks, so nothing irritated the skin. Beautiful colors, beautiful beings around him. Everything was really nice, the best, highest quality. But at some point it really penetrated his heart when he was 29 that there's old age, sickness, and death. saw an old person and and wrinkled skin and hair skin blotched and hair falling or having fallen out creaking and moving and he he watched himself recoil and he he caught, he, he saw that as a young prince this does not Befit me. Because he realized that I, I'm subject to that. And he realized, well, what am I recoiling from? He's attached to just, he called it the vanity of youth. The vanity of youth left me. He realized, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. Just wanting things to be young, vibrant, beautiful. Sickness. It penetrated his heart deeply. saw someone vomiting, diarrhea, too weak to, to, to get up. They were in their own vomit and diarrhea. He again saw, saw a, a recoiling, mm, unpleasant feeling. I, I don't, <laughs> that's over there. I don't want that. He realized hey, th- this is subject. He, he realized this is subject, sickness. And he had a moment where the vanity of health left him. He, 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 this does not become me to hold this aversion like that. He penetrated his heart. Death saw a corpse. In our monastic training we were in Thailand, this is all part of the training of monks. They would take uh, uh, young monks into the morgue. Doctors would have as part of that was not my favorite experience, but I could relate to this 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 recoiling of a body that's decaying or bloating, dead. But he saw again that same movement away. does not become me. He talked about the vanity of life. And he thought, what doesn't die? Is there freedom from old age, sickness, and death? Is this all there is? The search, he saw saw a monk, a mendicant, a seeker, and he, he, he really... I won't go through the whole story, but he, he he practiced with the yogis of the day to try to find this peace, this undying, indestructible, deathless peace. First, he thought, well, if this is all getting old, sick, and dying, Nibbana must be somewhere else. So he was really good. He was an Olympic meditator. He could go into formless states, I meaning where there's nobody. I don't just mean Empty of the sense of self. I'm talking about where this body is gone. Forms are gone. He, uh, he had a teacher that taught him how to go to the realm of nothingness. But he came back, he kept coming back down. The teacher just even offered him, hey, you're good. Lead the order with me. The young prince said, thank you, but He he knew he hadn't been satisfied. He kept coming down. Then he went to another teacher that taught him a more refined realm, the realm of neither perception nor non-perception. But he came down. He could go into this state, no suffering, come down. That teacher just said, "You're, you're good. You lead the order. respectfully declined. Then he thought, oh, I'm coming down. Maybe I'm coming down because there's still that attachment of the sensory world. So then he went into this, you know the story, this ascetic practice, torturing himself, starving himself. He was determined. He had tremendous willpower. welcoming pain but the idea that pain is my path pain will cut through this attachment to the sensory world it's world of birth and death then I'll arrive in Nibbana down to I don't know a few grains of rice he even even, uh, thought breathing is too luxurious So he would go long periods uh, stopping the breathing and then observing the cutting pains that would go through. He was right on the verge of death. He told the story to his disciples. He would try to urinate and he would fall on his face. He would scratch his stomach. The skin would come off, but then he could feel his backbone. He was so emaciated. And he had the question, I love this question. We all should contemplate this question. Might there be another way? (laughs) And what's so beautiful? He'd been to the teachers. He'd done the ascetic thing. He was best at. He was the top ascetic. His his companions. When Gautama breaks through, he'll tell us. Might there be another way? So he didn't have anyone else to ask. He asked the heart. This heart. This is the beginning of the return home. Sometimes the path is called the great return from thinking it's out there. Might there be another way? And then listening into that silence. Notice when we're so sure. No, 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 no. What do you mean, might there be another way? It's this way. It's getting what you want. There's a lot of beings in the world that know the way. The way is getting my way. And you're in my way. Guess what? You're getting crushed. Boom. You're getting knocked aside. That's why we have this grasping, this oppression, this, this, this exploitation. That comes out of a lot of confidence that we've got the way. Rooted in a lot of Fear. But the humility to realize my methods aren't working, might there be another way? And pausing, and the heart threw up, brought up, offered him a memory, childhood memory. He was sitting under a tree. It was a festival day when his father, the king, or the head chief, or whatever you want to call it, some sort of plowing festival or harvest festival or something. So there was activity, maybe speeches, meals, music maybe, dancing, activity. But he remembered as a child he had withdrawn. The word that he's used is viveka, He didn't throw stones, (gasps) he just withdrew, that's what we're doing, just withdrew to the shade of a rose apple tree. And with the innocence of a child, the purity of a child, he remembered that in that bringing the attention back, he received his body breathing. Breathing. And the attention resonated with that rhythm. Resonated with that simplicity. Letting go of the multiplicity of all the activities, the foods of this speech to that speech. Letting that be. Just let it be in the returning here to this body, sitting, breathing. And he remembered the pleasant, the beautiful state. And the inside arose. The conviction arose, this is the way. This is the way. But he realized, I can't do this way. I'm too weak. I've got to eat something. He was in a lot of pain from all that ascetic practices, but he knew, so then he... And, Fortuitously, just at that moment, a wonderful, generous, spirited, hearted maiden named Sujata saw this emaciated ascetic and offered him this milk rice and he accepted it from her. Beautiful young maiden and his fellow ascetics were horrified. Gotama has lost it. He's a slacker. He's given up the trek, given up the task, given up the great way. They abandon him. Gautama wasn't worried. He accepted. And tanisra likes to say, and I think she's right, that this was such an important turning point, point of opening to the feminine opening to Mother Earth, opening back to the body, matter, which which comes from the root matrix, mother, opening, nourish. Then he ate, renewed his strength, practiced this samadhi, this gatheredness. And awaken to the ever present truth that's always here and now. The path is when the Buddha recollected after his awakening what leads. It's called a path, as if you're going somewhere, but it's that's just a way of talking, that this path activity is that which leads to the recognition of what has always been here. So it's called a path, but it's not actually a path. That the unfolding of this path involves three main trainings, virtue, which means learning how we started the retreat, to oversee our karma, our intentional actions of body, speech, and heart. Body, speech, and heart. When we we train ourselves not to harm, that's a wonderful gift. Little by little that leads to the lessening of remorse. And that's a foundation then for this middle training that this samadhi, this meditative training. And when the heart is really composed, when the heart is really here, not bouncing around wanting and not wanting, when it's more composed, it sees the way things are. That's one of the function of the composed heart. That composure leads to the training then of wisdom, seeing into the nature of things. That's called the three trainings, the virtue, the ethical trainings, the trainings around meditation and wisdom. Uh, the great uh, Thai master, the Tanisara reference to yesterday, Ajahn Lee, the great king of samadhi in, in Thailand, he gave an image He said, this samadhi, this this samadhi training is is difficult. He said, it's like you're building a bridge off a fast-flowing river that requires three pylons, two in the shallows of the near side and the far side where the current is not quite so strong, but that central pylon, central pillar supporting the bridge across dangerous waters to the place of safety. That central one goes right down through the fastest flowing part of the current down to the ground. Ajan Lee said that uh, samadhi is like that central pylon. It's the most difficult one to sink because of all the strong currents that it's easier Similarly with saying like the virtues, more tangible, it's challenging, still challenging, but it's more tangible to practice, not harming, and perfect; not taking, not exploiting. Challenging, but we can oversee our speech, treasure consciousness and let go of just seeking out a nibbana through intoxication with that samadhi, because what are the currents, these currents of of reactivity around feeling, the desires and aversions and sluggishness and restlessness and doubts and views and opinions. And once, it's difficult, but once there is samadhi, in a moment of composure, It's been described that when the heart's in samadhi, it's a bit like a hot stove, cast-iron stove. Imagine it heated for hours if a drop of water drops on that stove. So-called drop of water drops. It's there and it just evaporates. When our heart is more composed, then wisdom's easy, relatively easy, because our views, our thoughts, the moods are more easy to recognize as passing friends, as patterns which have the, a truth in them, but they, we know that they're not all of what we are. Thoughts that I'm a good person, I'm a bad person, I'm this, I'm that when those thoughts are touched with samadhi, they keep dissolving, revealing this ocean-like, measureless, ever-present awareness. But this this samadhi training, what we're doing, is not not easy. It is. But just don't get despairing. This eyeball to eyeball with our karma. Okay, these patterns are revealing themselves. The Buddha gave us some tips, some encouragement, this being with the breathing, mindfulness of the breathing. It was his method that liberated him. And then later, when his disciples were, even Buddhas have challenges. Disciples that are squabbling about this and that. and Occasionally he would do just what we were doing. He'd go and retreat. Don't disturb me. And the animals would feed him. <laughs> and he would come back, people would ask him what he did on the retreat, and he would uh, lay out this uh, mindfulness of breathing, being with the breathing. And as we've touched on some of these skillful means, an intentional breath can be really helpful. Sometimes a long in-breath, a long out-breath, relaxing, remembering that there's nowhere to go, that wherever we go, we're always here. Softening this, relaxing this body, mind. when we're quite uh, activated and it can happen and there are really times when it's important to be on our guard but to to yes we can develop this samadhi but at times relatively speaking checking hey is this relatively more safe to remind ourselves wow I'm I'm surrounded by, at least here, where we're so fortunate to have pure air here. To be reminded that we're surrounded by this ocean of vitality that we're allowed to breathe in anytime we want. Breathe out anytime we want. And it gives us life force. A long in-breath and relaxing. Allowing that blessing to suffuse into the body. And the Buddha talks about how at a certain point then we relax and let it settle and just allow our our breathing, being with our breathing might be more comfortable in one place. We're with the breathing there. If the breathing, if it's not so easy to be with the breathing, being, notice I said being with the breathing rather than watching the breathing. Breathing out there, watching the, being with breathing. Notice how that kind of phrase constellates a more global. Or if the body is too activating, that's been talked about, listening to sounds. That's more global. And within that listening, the body will be there. Might as we're being with the breathing in one place, whatever uh, undistorted consciousness touches something that energizes that area. I'm not talking about a grasping consciousness, an averse consciousness, when mindfulness is just kind, present, what it touches. There's a blessing that happened. It is in the nature of attention to bless, to balance. As we stay with the breathing, it might be at the nostrils. And then these different currents that might be coming. Activations, memories, projects that still haven't been done. If we can, just hold them lightly, if possible. Just saying, okay, thank you. But not have to figure it all out now, even just with moments of letting it be. We will give more full attention at other times. But cultivating this capacity, because when the child, remember that insight, when he withdrew from the festival, trying to figure it I've got to figure it out no 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 I can withdraw later got to figure it out we we can be exhausted and sometimes trying to figure it out is just the exhausted mind spinning thoughts there's another way of working on problems give it space come back to the body And the Buddha talks about learning to train ourselves to be sensitive to the whole body. Widening the awareness. It's a very important process. The Buddha talked about the value of samadhi. The first function of this is how to cultivate a pleasant abiding in the here and now. But a different kind of pleasure. Some pleasures are just external, dependent upon a certain sight, a certain sound, a certain flavor, certain taste, certain external contact. Those aren't bad, but they're so ephemeral, so dependent upon external conditions. The first purpose by the Buddha taught Samadhi, was to cultivate a pleasant abiding in the here and now that's healing. It allows the different dimensions of our being to come together. This thinking mind, this body that can get so tense, so sluggish, the mind can be so activated around fear and desire and aversion and doubt, This heart that can get so jumpy, so discouraged. Healing. And this learning to widen the awareness. Buddha gave an image. Important image that gives us an idea. It's the famous Batman simile. In the old days, when you had a bath, you didn't just have a tap, hot water on tap. I suppose you would uh, have to go to the bathman or the bathman's apprentice who had hot water. But they also had a magical powder, kind of powder, I don't know, that had maybe crystals and oils in a powder form. But this bathman then had this metal bowl, like a bronze bowl, beautiful color. And this powder, bath powder. And the bathman then would sprinkle water into the powder, and then start kneading the powder and sprinkling more, and then you, you feel the different gritty bits. Ah. Sprinkling the water there and kneading, sprinkling, kneading. And then little by little, that water would permeate, suffuse. And then it's starting to become something different. This aromas and, and cleansing kind of suds and this, this powder then would start absorbing the water. The Buddha made it very clear in the bathmans. simile that it didn't drip out. So there's an alchemy that's happening. This bronze bowl is the heart of awareness. Mindfulness. That's our container. What is the powder? That's our body. Except it can be so like that powder with no water in it. Oh, my head's up here. Shoulders around the ears. I've even lost track of my belly. I don't know where that is. And... Uh, and then the sprinkling the water is moments of attention, listening, feeling into exploring. This is the widening of awareness from the particular to little by little include sprinkle. And it, but this this body has within it fragrances, treasures, blessings secrets that we overlook, and especially if we're averse to pain, we just kick upstairs to the head, and we, as some were saying, just throw some coffee in there, and then, then when we come back to it, whoa, it's so painful. But it's not easy coming back, but we're metabolizing all this, these currents. can help us be with the breathing. It's a certain kind of thinking. What the Buddha called vitaka. Vichara. Oh, Kitty thinking is what gets me in trouble. What's so nice is when the mind stops thinking and then it's wonderful. Oh, But then my head, I want to cut it off and roll it like a bowling ball. Up to Kuan Yin in the back. She can have it. Yes, sometimes it's nice when thoughts aren't there, but thoughts can be very helpful occasionally when we're trying to talk or we're trying to explain something or reflect on something. The middle ground, the the Buddha, a part of our training is training thought and one of the keys to deepening in samadhi is what he called vitaka. It's a moderated thought. Rather than long discourses, which we get lost in these stories, it's a thought like what's happening now. It's a short thought. It ends, and what does it do? It brings us to the moment. Shortening thought. And a shorter thought dissolves. It appears and dissolves. But vitaka means it's directing us to our chosen object. Directing us. In Thailand, the favorite thought, moderated thought, Vitaka, was Bhutto, the name of the Buddha. Except it's not the historical Buddha. Bhutto means, it's in a grammatical case that means this Buddha, the one here, the awakened one. And there's an awakened essence that's always in our heart. So, when breathing in, bud, breathing out, to. Bud, to. Bud, as you breathe in, to. If you have the breath in a certain little area, breathing in, bud, to. You allow the word. And that word reminds, where am I going? I'm just going to the wakefulness with, with the body. Vitaka. Vichara means that which receives. It's sometimes described as a finger pointing is the vitaka. It's the young. The the effort to bring your attention to the body. But it's always combined like with a palm, that which receives the body. If we only just have the pointing part of practice, then we're always saying, get back there, I told you to study. You're not you're not gonna have any Anything you like on the food. I'm going to You start bullying. Get there. I had a, when I was a monk, I had a person once who came to visit the monastery. And he said, can I sit with your group? I said, fine. So, I was a senior monk, I had an assistant monk, I had a few postulants, I would sit there, and then this person was in our little shrine room, and then he, he stalked out halfway. I thought, hmm, okay. So, after the sitting, I went and went to the anteroom, and, and there he was in a huff. And I said, What? And he said, Your postulants were attacking me with their thoughts. And he was, I just said, Really? Um, and so then when he was talking to me, he, he was uh, talking about how he'd been turned down at a leper colony, he wanted to help, but he'd been turned down. But he was talking, 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 talking. And I was pinned against the wall. And I could understand maybe why he was turned down at the leper colony. <laughs> but, and he said, my thoughts are 98% fragrant. But there, but there was so much yang, so much pointing. I mean, he, he, he was, but his, the yin, the receptivity. Like if you ask, have you ever had someone ask you, how are you, but then they don't, you're getting ready to say something, but then they go, oh. <laughs> So a word, and then the word dissolves like butto, or it can be even just peacefully breathe in. It's a word that reminds us what we're doing, but then it dissolves and allows the heart to then receive the body, the texture of the sensations. The pain, because a lot of us have pain from undigested restlessness, undigested exhaustion, undigested trauma, undigested doubt, toe, or peacefully breathe in. And then that dissolves. And then we, we're, we're with the tones of the body. With that. That's vichara, feeling into. That's the sprinkling the water is the vitaka. Then the kneading. The feeling the gritty bits. The awareness goes there. We sprinkle some more water there. And then we, we widen again. Because all this body is within this wider mind. And when there's a little uncomfortable bit, like when Nisha was talking about how we can open and release as one breathes in, uh, just a subtle opening and releasing. Or the phrase that Ajahn Sujito uses that I like a lot is, we learn to soften places in our being that are just so cramped as we breathe in there. On the out-breath, we soften just a little bit and widen the awareness. Because remember, we're learning how to, to be sensitive to the whole body. And if something's just too too tender, too, too difficult, then we widen, and as Denisra was saying, then we find a part of the body that's, that's okay breathing in and out there. We become more agile with our attention. But this shortening thought. It stays with the breath. That's present even in 1st first Jhana. 1st first Jhana is a, is a way the Buddha talks about the first deep, steady state of peace, calm, samadhi. There's Vitakavichara there. Sometimes we think, oh, thoughts have to run away. That Thoughts don't have to run away. One can be deeply peaceful. Peacefully I breathe in. Peacefully I breathe out. Peacefully I breathe in. Peacefully I breathe out. Because we're alive, there'll be sounds and sensations coming and going. Let them come and go. That thought just reminds us what we're doing. Buddha. To, so, I use a lot Kuan Yin's name. I told you I get, I've had a history of anxiety, a lot of anxiety. Kuan Yin's name reminds you to trust the listening, that in the listening is great protective compassion of Kuan Yin. The refuge is safe. So what? Sometimes I'll breathe in Namo Kuan, Yin Yin菩萨涅槃. At first, and then allowing those phrases to mingle with the sensations of the body. Or as that calms down, I might use the butoh. In Africa, when you're driving, and one of those big storms that Tanisha is talking about comes, whoa, I mean, it's a downpour. You can't see anything. Nothing. But... Praise the Lord for windshield wipers. <laughs> and so, when a windshield wiper goes across, for a moment there's clarity. That's how buto works. But, wonderful windshield wipers. But, and that sound, but, and it dissolves. For a moment, it reveals the empty heart. To, and allow that sound, your phrase, to resonate with the body. And as it keeps dissolving, it allows one to receive, that's what wichara means, to feel into the different parts. Then we then start to learn how to, and it's it's taken me a while to get there, so forgive me if this is. Do you mind if I go on a little more? <laughs> is that all right? Learning how to, to train ourselves to be joyful. It's a quiet joy. It doesn't have to be, I'm excited to breathe in. I'm excited to breathe out. I'm really excited to breathe in. Now, sometimes I can do that too. But you, even if you're not excited to breathe in, even, even if you're just not feeling good, one can exhaust it and I'm speaking from experience I had 10 years I was quite sick 3 years I had to lie down pretty much the whole time 90 something percent of the time years where I just was in pain all the time and when when pain wasn't there I would think my goodness there's no pain and if we're Looking for, sometimes the big obstruction to to deepening in meditation is, is, is thinking this pain, as Nisha was saying, and others is just getting in the way. Okay, sometimes pain is really difficult, but we can learn to be able to say, this is pain. And notice the extra pain, and it's significant, that comes from not wanting it. It's like in the bathtub if you've got Ripples, and you think, I, but I want it to be calm. And you start punching down the riffle- ripples. <laughs> you just create more, 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 more. They're coming from everywhere. <laughs> but being kind and learning to even fatigue, savor it. What are you talking about, Gideon? To to allow that feeling, just like a mother. A mother of a child when a mother's in her best. I mean, obviously, moms like anyone else can get exhausted and have unskillful moments. But when a child is really hurting, the mother holds the child. It's that loving, quiet, rocking. And then in that aura, The energy little by little is allowed to change when we're exhausted and when there's something uh, difficult. That's the root of piti, P-I-T-I, called rapture. Yes, when it flowers it can be blissful, but the seed of it is opening to and, and, and savoring, being interested in. Enjoying that. That allows the energy to well up. Combined with sukha, what's called happiness or pleasure, the essence of that is, is relaxing. being content with that moment. As we breathe in and out, with where the breath is comfortable, explore widening from time to time. Explore having our sacred name or a phrase, even if it's just peacefully breathe in or out. Remind us to do that. Learning to savor, to relax. Little by little by little, the body-mind is metabolized. There's an alchemy. These first few days are challenging, but we're doing good work. Hang in there. It's challenging, but we're going to start, little by little, allowing those blockages to, to, to be blessed with patience, with kindness, with savoring, with relaxing, so that little by little we're... We're resting more deeply in this moment which will reveal this wondrous heart of ours which is always beckoning us. That allows the unification to happen. A balancing of the elements. It's ekagata, is the word the Buddha used, Eka means single, unified. The image that I love for that is Tanisha and I, when we're exhausted in South Africa, we drive a few hours away to the beach on the Indian Ocean. The beach is amazing. But sometimes if there's been a big active day and there's been a party and some naughty ones maybe even driving their vehicles on the beach if they're not supposed to, and there can be lots of debris and, and, and tracks and confusion and but as the tide comes in and out and in and out like this breath, like this practice that we're doing, savoring, relaxing, opening, releasing, patiently softening, widening. Then by dawn when you go to the beach, those trillions of grains of sand and all those tracks are just smooth. It's unified. It's smooth. That's what happens as we stay with this. And yes, in time, it becomes more accessible. It becomes a way to take a holiday, a true holy day. And in moments, little by little, week by week, month by month, year by year, that we're practicing moments of pausing, being mindful, re-inhabiting, as Yong says, our, our body, befriending our body anew, patiently, letting the world be for a moment, allowing the attention to return. We get more skilled. It's like putting in the clutch. We don't have to engage the engine all the time. It might still rev, but we're learning to pause and refresh. And that doesn't chew up the resources of the world. We're learning to appreciate the joy of awareness itself, of simplicity, of blameless, pleasant abiding in the here and now which is in and of itself a wonderful thing to do. And that composed mind, when it turns to the true nature, then will reveal all the things that have been tripping us up to be revealed in their true ephemeral nature, merging endlessly in this unshakable heart. finishing with the words of our dear Master Ajahn Chah. Phrases you've probably heard many times before, but it just encourages us to keep going. These are the words of Ajahn Chah. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come and drink at the pool. And you will clearly see the nature of things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go. But you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. Buddha. Please feel free to rest if you need to rest. For those who wish, we'll have the uh, walking go just for 20 minutes till 10 10 past 9. And those who would like a last short 20-minute sitting, I'll come in for that uh, in about 20 minutes. Thank you.